The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Well, we we continue in our Advent series and our teaching as we talk through the songs of Christmas. And this is a fun thing that we're doing, if this is your first Sunday with us. um, It's fun. We're going through a few... uh, favorite Christmas carols and hymns of, uh, that we celebrate every year, that we sing through every year, um, and, we're, and it's called the Songs of Christmas. And as always, during our Sunday worship, we reflect, a reflection will be rooted in Scripture, but a description and explanation uh, comes from a pop, the popular lyrics of, of a favorite Christmas song. So lyrics matter. We talked that last week, we said lyrics matter. The words that we sing matter. The words that we sing uh, and, and any song, they matter. You know, we might really love a song and buy music because of this catchy tune, we love to dance to it, we love to relax to it, or whatever. But if we stop and think about the lyrics, um, what they're saying, I mean, these are things that really, they transform and form our hearts and our attitudes, and it's important. And especially when we are worshiping God and talking to God, we want to be saying things that are truthful and appropriate and right and joyful. And, and, uh, and when we sing Christmas songs, you even realize some of the lyrics that we might be singing and what they mean. And if we really stopped and reflected on these words, I, I hope that we would never sing songs again the same way. Um, and especially Christmas songs this time of year, um, I hope that we would look at them in a new way. This is a time of year where people just love uh, talking about Christmas, isn't it? In, in many different contexts and in, in different conversations, we love talking about it. Uh, where are you going this, uh, this year? Are you, you going out of town? Are you spending time with family? Are people coming over? Or... Um, <clears throat> What's your favorite thing about Christmas? Or what's your favorite Christmas song? You don't need to be in church to talk about Christmas. And when I like, in, in fashion we did last week, I want to go through a, a couple favorite Christmas songs and, and look at some of these lyrics and how bizarre they, they might be, okay? So I figured last week I did this and kind of got myself in trouble, and now i got to do it every week. So uh, here's, a, here's a favorite one. Uh, it's, it's the most wonderful time of the year, Right? There'll be parties for hosting. This is legitimate. I mean, you have parties of this time of the year where you have friends over to your house. Maybe you go to someone's house. Marshmallows for toasting. I mean, maybe you don't do that over the fire, but uh, you have dessert at every, every meal this time of month. Caroling out in the snow. Uh, scary ghost stories and tales. Of, you know, we talk about Christmas long ago, but what's up with the scary ghost stories? You know, it's, it's Christmas Eve. The, the kids are in bed. The presents are wrapped. Everything's under the tree. You look at your spouse and you say, honey... You know it'd be great. Let's go freak the kids out. You know? Let's go scare them out of their socks. Let's go tell them a ghost story. You're probably not going to do that, but it, maybe it's a tradition we should we should carry uh, back up again. Um, can you imagine the conversation? Uh, I actually like this lyric now a lot more because I want to do that. Telling ghost stories around Christmas. Um, here's another one up on the housetop. You know this is this is really fun. Uh, it's fun for the for the kids. Saint Nick comes down. Here's how the story goes. He comes down the chimney with lots of toys. All for little ones, Christmas joys. And first, there's little Nell. You know, you know about little Nell. She's, she scores. I mean, she gets a dolly that laughs and cries and one that will open and shut her eyes. Great gift for a little girl. But, but look, at what, I mean, look at what Will gets. Oh, just see what a glorious fill. Here's a hammer and a lot of tacks. A whistle and a ball and a whip that cracks. Here, Will, go, go fix the, go fix the, the, you know, the shutters. Or, you know, here, here, get to work. Can you imagine that? Just putting, you know, opening up the gift and it's just a bunch of roofing nails. Uh, this, is, this is great. Or, here, here's a, here's a whip. Go chase your sister around the house. Here, Will. Merry Christmas. Go get a job. So, 
Christmas lyrics are interesting. He's written long ago. And, but what about Christmas songs that we sing today? Today our, our, our song of Christmas is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We already sang that this morning. It's written by Charles Wesley, and, uh, who, who wrote almost 9,000 hymns. Amazing. 9,000 hymns. It's calculated that uh, he wrote, uh, if he wrote 10 lines of music a day, uh, it would take him 50 years to write all the music that he wrote. And we sing some of his songs even today, like uh, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing and Come Thou Long Expected Jesus and many other popular ones that maybe you uh, uh, sing, that we sing here and that you grew up singing. Um, and one of those songs we're gonna, we, we sung this morning and talked through as our song of Christmas. And he wrote this song, um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, when he was 27 years old. Uh, pretty amazing. That, that alone is, is startling. Uh, many of us uh, won't do uh, anything, that, uh, let alone in our 20s, that will last 300 years. Uh, so this, this hymn is, is 300 years old, and uh, things that people are going to be doing, what have, what, have, what have you done, what will I do, that in 300 years from now the church is still doing every year. Um, and so it's just amazing. Uh, it, is, it has stood the test of time, and it's a great song for good reason. Um, the, actually, the original line goes this, Hark! How the welking rings, glory to the King of kings, peace on earth, earth and mercy mild, God and singer, sinners reconciled. Welking, it's this old English term to kind of mean the heavens, you know, the, the angels and, and the, the upper firmament, the upper places. And his close friend and evangelist, you know, George Whitfield, uh, he's a pastor and Charles Wesley's the, the worship leader and, and uh, you know, pastors and worship leaders haven't been getting along ever since. And Wesley, you know, I'm just kidding. George Whitfield came in and he said, let me, let me fix your theology. Let me, let me change this first line. And he said, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And Charles Wesley was so upset. He was not happy. But who knows? Maybe we wouldn't even be singing this song today if he didn't change the line. Could you imagine singing uh, that, uh, that line? How the welking rings. The welking rings. Don't know. That would be one of our funny songs that I would be posting up. So Chuck wasn't happy, uh, but we sing it today. So the scripture upon which the Christmas song is based is Luke chapter 2. And I want to bring your attention to Luke chapter 2 as we read this passage together this morning. Would you go to Luke 2? I'm going to start reading in verse 8. This is, uh, this is the story of the shepherds uh, and the angels that announce uh, the birth of Christ. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, 
glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Luke uh, tells us this story, this historical event that has happened. He tells us the events of what is going on in this town of Bethlehem as as these shepherds were in the field keeping watch over their sheep. And Luke, I want you to think about Luke and maybe what you know or not know of Luke. Luke is a historian. He's, uh, he's a man of science and of faith. He's a doctor by profession and a chosen disciple of Christ. He is a pragmatist. Do you know what this means? He's, he is a person whose favorite word is the word why. Why is this happening? Why do I do that? Why is this important? Why should I think about this? Why should you tell me this? Why is this information useful to me? It is this word, why? He wants to know what is the reason for, for everything. He's a, he's a doctor. And he, he's a grown-up four-year-old. Right? That's, that's, a, that's, the, that's the best-known pragmatist, right? The, the one who loves the word why. And he never grew out of it. And he just wants to know why. And for Luke... Things must make sense. Everything that happens, he needs to be able to understand what's, what sense does this make and why has it happened. He was a, great, he was a man of great faith, but he, but he wasn't caught up in the just becauses. You know, someone telling him, just because, just, just believe it and just, just believe it and accept it. It's, it's a good thing. He was never okay with that kind of answer. And, and maybe you're not okay with that kind of answer either. And that is okay. And that is good. You have a, you have a friend in, in Scripture. We see Many people with this same kind of attitude. And we don't have to be left alone with just because. Just believe it and just take it and just adopt your life around this. This was his, his, the driving motivation behind his writing of the Gospel of Luke, his, his recollection of events that actually occurred. The reason for his writing was to answer that question, why? And in Luke chapter 1, he even tells us this in his opening verses of his, of his book. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke is saying, you know what, maybe it's a good idea for me also to write uh, a, uh, a recollection of all the things that have happened when I spent time with Jesus when he was here on the earth. You know, that others have, have done this. Maybe it's good that I do this. And maybe I should do this so that people will know with certainty why things have happened the way that they have happened. And so we look at a specific event in, in history and we ask the question, why? Why did God come in this way? Put yourself in the shoes of the shepherds. That would be a good thing for us to do this morning. You're in a field with these stinky sheep and keeping watch at night. The angel appears to you and there's a great multitude of angels around, and it says the glory of God has filled the field. They have, there's no doubt that this is from the Lord, because the glory of God just fills the entire field. And the angel says, good news, a Savior is born this day. He is the one the world has been waiting for. The skies open up, and, and as numerous as the stars, we see this multitude of angels, and the whole host of angels are singing singing loudly and beautifully, glory to God in the highest, peace among whom, with whom He is pleased. 
The shepherds rush to Bethlehem to see for themselves. Let's see this thing that they have told about, and they see, they see this baby. And they see Mary, the mother, and they see Joseph, and, and they're gathered together, and they see this baby. And uh, I remember my mother-in-law retelling the story when she saw my wife and I staring over the crib of our, of our oldest child, Cohen, when we brought him home. And we were staring over, and he was screaming. And she said, the look on your guys' face. It said, what do we do? I imagine the shepherds would have come upon this scene and Mary and Joseph and standing over the manger. Just, this was, he didn't have this, he didn't have a glow about him. Mary didn't have a glow about her. She was a new mother giving birth to her first child. And the baby is a baby. And they come upon this scene. And they tell everyone that the Lord has shown us this. The angels have told us this, and we went to Bethlehem, and it was exactly as they said it would be. And even Mary pondered all these things in her heart. And the shepherds would tell other people about this, and many, it says, wondered about it. Why has it happened this way? And I imagine that Mary, in pondering this thing to herself, might even thought, I knew that God said this was going to happen, but, but why like this? God has come into the world the long-expected Savior of the world and forgiver of our sins and dyer of our death. And why He has come into the world, but why did He come like this? Have you ever thought about that? You should. Because it's bizarre. This was God's plan. God created this blueprint for His plan for all of history. He said, I'm going to come and save my people. You know how I'm going to do it? And send my son to become a baby. This plan is, is somewhat ridiculous, isn't it? I have to imagine there were some even hearing this news and thinking, this is amazing, but a baby? God has finally come, but a baby? What does it matter? He's here, but yeah, but, it, but a baby? A weak, hopeless baby? Luce speaks to the skepticism of those who might think, why has God come like this? He did not come to, to overthrow the Roman power or he would have come riding on a horse with weapons. He didn't come to, the, to rid the world of poverty or he would have come with bags of, of money and food. He didn't come to teach us how to live an intelligent life or he would have come as a scholar with books strapped on his shoulder for us to learn. He came as a baby and we need to ask why. The answer cuts to the nerve of our greatest dilemma. He was born this way to solve the problem from which all other problems flow. Man is a sinner who needs an overwhelming love. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. He was born into our life and under the law that we are held captive to in order to set free those who are under that curse. The shepherds must have run into some opposition, don't you think? As they went into town and they, they shouted of this news and said, come see what we have seen. This is true. The angels told us we were in our field hanging out with our sheep and the angels came to us and told us to go find a baby and we went and it was so. This is our Savior. This is the God we've been waiting for forever. And they must have thought, 
this is fascinating. It's a great story, but, but what you are telling me is odd. And they might even think, I don't, the opposition they might have felt was, you know, I don't really need a savior. This is great. This is great. This baby has come to you and you're encouraged by it, but, but I don't really, I don't need a savior. And the song of the angels and our Christmas hymn cuts to man's most central dilemma. This lyric here is, Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. The problem that we face is not primarily economical. It's not primarily emotional or physical. It's spiritual. And we talk about peace at Christmas a lot. You know, if we're following an Advent theme, and we see last week we talked about hope and hoping in God and His promise to be fulfilled and come true. And today we talk about peace. And a lot of times we talk about peace at Christmas and other times of the year. Uh, we don't mean to talk about peace as a, as a general sense of, as of calm, of, of comfort, of emotional warmth that makes us feel um, protected in the midst of trouble. See, peace can, can mean that as, as merely a, as an emotional feeling. Like when it's the end of the day and it's quiet and you finally get to sit down and put your legs up under, uh, under a warm drink and it's peaceful. But Jesus wasn't born to give us this kind of comfort, to make us feel good at the end of the day merely. He came to forever change our relationship with God that was broken. He came to change us from hopeless enemies to forgiven children adopted children into his family. He came to make things the way that they were supposed to be that was ruined by our sin. The Hebrew word for for peace is shalom. And this idea of shalom, it means this total state of flourishing. This total state of flourishing of our lives and our existence and our world and all of creation. Flourishing at its greatest uh, potential as it's meant to be created. And shalom is God's designed plan for all of creation and all of redemption. And sin is an offense against God's shalom. Sin is coming into the world and breaking this design of God for things to flourish. And Jesus comes to heal what has been broken, to heal this relationship between man and God. You see, the things that are broken are not just the relationship between man and man. You know, men and Women, they kill one another, they, they steal and, and commit offense against one another, uh, they are unkind to one another, they fight and bicker. Now, this is obviously a lack of peace, but there's also, the Bible tells us something more significant, and that is that same kind of relationship because of sin is, is existing between us and God. There is this enmity. The Bible even calls us enmity. The Bible says that we are, apart from Christ, that we're children of wrath, now, it doesn't matter what kind of translation you read that verse in. It's really hard to get around that idea that the Bible says, apart from Christ, we are really without hope. We are really objects of his wrath. The truth is, God's plan is to redo the entire world. Jesus was born to bring peace, to mend that relationship, to heal what is, what is broken and dead, to bring to life what is dead, to reconcile where there is a lack of peace. So who gets the peace? Because this is good, right? This is good news. God has come to bring peace, but who gets the peace? Does everybody get this? The song of the angels should give us a little pause as they sing, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The birth of Christ does not bring peace to all people. And even though God's offer of peace goes out to the entire world, only those with whom he is pleased 
actually receive this peace? Well, how then, another question, is good question as we take pause on this song, well, how then do we know if we are among those with whom God is pleased? Because I want to know. And the answer is that we receive the sermon of the angels. You see, the, ser- the angels are they're preachers. They're heralds. That's what a herald is. It's, it's, a, it's a, a preacher. And they are giving a sermon. And it's a very short sermon. And you're thinking, well, Pete, be like, more like Scripture. You know, get... This is a very clear, very short, and very good sermon that each of us need to hear. They're herald angels. They're heralds and preachers. They say, good news. And they start off saying, good news. This is how you know that a sermon is about to be preached. Someone said, this is the, good, the gospel. The gospel means good news. We start talking about the gospel. And we say, good news. They're about to preach a sermon because they say, gospel's coming. The good news is coming. Open up your ears. But here's the the thing. Not everyone who says good news, not everyone who has a Bible open is actually preaching the gospel. Not everyone who says gospel, open your ears, is about to tell you something good. Not every preacher is about to tell you something that is actually good. Not all sermons are good news. What do, I need? what do I mean? Sometimes they're good advice. Sometimes they say, good news, open your ears. And then say, if you repent enough, if you clean up enough, if you change enough, if you're kind enough, if you're good enough, if you are smart enough, if you participate enough, if you are pure enough, if you are the picture of what God desires for you enough. But that's not good news at all, is it? That is not good news at all. And this, the, the worst people to tell that to would be the shepherds. If the angels would have come and said, good news, clean up, and God will be pleased with you, they would look at themselves and say, man, I'm covered in sheep poop. What do you mean? The city is over there. The religious leaders are over there. We're out here. We're out here in the field. We're not good people. People don't want to be around us. If you want, bring that message to the religious people. And I think this is why the angels came to the shepherds. To actually tell us the good news and to see it embodied in what it looks like to actually give good news. How do we know if something's really good news? If the message is like the message of the angels. If the message and its meaning and its, and its, and its end and its purpose and motivation is just like the angels. And what do they say? Good news! Jesus saves. Jesus is born to you. Good news, it's going on right now. The only sort of good news can come from heaven. It can't come from man. It can't come from us. It can't come from our character or our track record. If they said, good news... Be the best Jew that you can be. They would say, I'm never going to be that. Tell somebody else. And a lot of times as Christians and even in churches, that's why the world looks at at the message of the gospel as it's proclaimed and say, tell somebody else. I know who I am. I know where I've come from. I know my mistakes. Preach Preach that religion somewhere else. But this isn't religion. This is gospel. This is good news. 
This is something completely outside of us coming into our life that, does, that doesn't take into account an, an improvement of our character or a, a, an, an unblemished track record, but takes into account the basis of what this child is about to do for us. I can't read the Bible the way I'm supposed to. I can't pray the way I'm supposed to. We're hard people. We're smelly people. We have sheep stuff all over us. We're, we're not good Jews. And I, gotta, I imagine that you might not be a good Christian. And I'm not a good Christian in the sense of obeying the law as I am supposed to. Obeying God in my attitudes, in my thoughts, and being the right Christian, and being the good pastor, and being the good church member, and being the good neighbor, and, and holding every thought captive, and not, being, not sinning in your anger, and not being charitable in your, with your resources. I bet you're not very good either. And if God would have come to you and said, good news, be better, do it faster and harder and gooder, you would have said, you would have said I've been trying. Is there any other hope? And they say, there's good news. There's good news. Jesus saves. And this good news is for you. Go and see. Go and see what I'm talking about. And even as a weak infant, look at what happens. Even as a weak infant, the, the, the shepherds rush to the baby and they see this weak, hopeless, messy, just like them. Hey, you got people stuff on you. We got sheep people stuff on us. This is, we, have, we have a lot in common. It's a messy baby. And they looked at the Christ and they believed in him. And at that moment, Jesus became to them their Savior. And at that moment, they became recipients of God's forever peace. At that moment. At that moment, they became Christians. To be a Christian and therefore to be a recipient of God's promised peace is to believe as the shepherds believed. To receive the song of the herald angels. To hear the good news and to believe in it. This is for me. This is because of me. This is because I could not do it. This is because I followed all the good advice and I could not follow it. And this is truly good news that a Savior is born for me and God has come to reconcile me with Him. This is good news. And our man is a sinner who needs overwhelming love and Jesus alone is the answer. He alone is the answer. And our carol closes with the final verse like this. Mild he lays his glory by. You see, he, he rids himself of, of, his, of his majesty, of his glory in heaven that he had with the fire. Father, he lays it by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. This is good news because Jesus, not seeing equality with God, something to be grasped, he humbled himself, he became a man. Do you know how hard this is? It's all that we've ever known to be human. And so for us, it's just called life. But this is humiliation. This is humility. This is pain and suffering. God becoming obedient to a life of sickness and poverty and eventual death and 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 betrayed by everyone in his life. Christ is born to us 
so that we may be born again to him. When Jesus is a man, he actually has this conversation with, uh, with a very successful, a very religious, a very accomplished leader of the Jewish people, a man named Nicodemus. And in John chapter 3, uh, this, this interaction is recorded. A successful man takes note of Jesus. Jesus is doing a good job. He's healing people. He has he's many more gatherers. People are coming to him. He, he, is, he is, in the world's eyes, he's becoming a very successful uh, public figure. And Nicodemus comes to him and says, you must be really important to God, I can tell, because uh, you're doing a lot of good things, and, and people are following you, and you're doing miracles. You must be really important to God. And instead of saying, thank you, I appreciate that. I am important to God. You know what Jesus says? He corrects this man's theology. He says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says so eloquently, huh? What do you mean? How is this possible? That I, uh, how could you enter into your mother's womb again? I mean, how are you born again? And Jesus explains that the life of a true believer and a child of God is not based on the work of God, not based on the work of man for God. It's not based on a person doing the right thing, covering all their bases, having a good track record and character. It is not about any measure of work that you and I can do for God, but it is the amount of work that God does for us. It's based on His work for you through His Spirit as an act of His grace and unconditional love. And And it is the act of God to generate true belief in the life of a person that allows them to respond with trust and peace and worship to God. Jesus corrects this man's theology who looks at his success and says, you must be important. And Jesus says, if you want to know God, if you want to be a part of his kingdom, something must happen to you that you have no power over. This is a work of God in your life by his grace. Jesus explains this. And the shepherds return to their work, glorifying and praising God for seeing Christ as he truly was. And at that moment, as they believed that God had done a work and they trusted in it, They became Christians. They became born again by the Spirit. And doctrine, this is doctrine. That's what doctrine is. It's just teaching. It's what do you believe about God and about the Bible. That's what doctrine is. It must be mingled with praise. You see, it's not just about believing the right thing and knowing all the facts and having the right head knowledge. It is about praise. It is about uh, worship stemming from that. This passage and this carol should be a model for us on how to live. How many Christmas songs, as you think about it, actually make you live differently? How many of you have thought this year, after listening to a Christmas song on the radio, you know what? I'm going to really give this chestnuts roasting on an open fire a try. I've been wanting to do that every year. I'm really going to do it. How many Christmas songs have made you live differently because of your belief in what it says? And this passage and this carol are meant to do, do just that. Our doctrine, God laid aside His glory and became a man in all humility, and all humiliation, to the point of death. He gave himself to live our life and to obey his Father perfectly. He died for our sins. He is our only hope of a restored relationship of God. He is our only hope. He is truly our Savior. That's doctrine. How has that influenced your life? How has that influenced your life and what, how you live and your praise and your worship? Do you live differently in light of that? Not do you live differently in order to get that, but do you live differently because that has come into your life? 
See, we praise, we join the angels singing. Glorifying God. To glorify God means that we let Him rule in our hearts and in our lives. To glorify God means to, to confess with our heart and our mouth, God, you are most weighty. If there's anything that has an influence on my life, you do. You're most glorious. That means you have the most weight, the most influence. What you say matters the most for how I act and feel and behave and live my life. That's to glorify God. And the angels say, praise Him. Glorify Him. Make Him most weighty in your life because He is most glorious in all the universe. There is no one most glorious, more glorious than God. Let's say you believe in the testimony of the shepherds. You believe that Christ has been born to bring peace between sinners and God. You believe He grew up and died our death. You believe in Him we have forgiveness. Through His resurrection, He gives us new life. He's conquered sin and death. What difference does it make? What difference has seeing Christ made in your life? Have, having seen the glory of the heavenly host and believed as the shepherds believed in Christ and received that and confessed that with your mouth and heart that Jesus is my Savior. I believe as the shepherds believe. How has that affected you? Do you realize that the shepherds then, the scripture says, then they returned. So they went back to their jobs. They didn't all become pastors. They didn't all go to the city and work in the temple. They went back to their jobs. And you know, having seen what the Lord told them would come true, having seen the glory of God and the angels in the field and the baby Jesus being born, they went back to their work and they were different people. They could not go back to a former way of living. They could not go back to a former way of thinking about their life. They were changed people. They would now live their life through this struggle of living out this doctrine and this profession and this belief. How does this have an impact on my life and how I work and how I love and how I fellowship and how I, how I yield to God's will in my life even when it's painful? How, do, how does this affect how I trust God every single day in my life? They would go back to their life and I guarantee they would not see themselves as the center of the universe anymore. You see, before this event, I, I bet that they were in their field and they were just doing it. saying, you know what? This is just our job. Another day, another dollar. It's an honest wage. And you know what? I kind of like being alone out here, not bothered. And so this is it. I'm going to work the hardest I can, take care of my family, try to enjoy the fruit of my labor, and then I'm going to die. Do you think they would think differently now that they saw what they saw? Absolutely. They couldn't help but be changed. You see, the glory of God will readjust our values. The glory of God will readjust our worship. The reality of our belief in Christ is connected to our worship of Him, believing Him, praising Him as the shepherds did. Our whole lives are oriented around our worship of Him with great joy. Not as people who do so with hesitancy or begrudgingly. We don't do it as a burden. Oh, I have to do this. I have to worship God because it's the right thing to do and it's Christmas after all. But we do this because we've seen the glory of God. We've received Christ, our Savior. And so now our lives are different. And this is great. Our whole lives are oriented around this joy. And it's not that silly kind of Christian joy where we put on that smile and we try to convince people that we're really happy about our life and everything's going well. It's this soul rest and the promise of God to bring healing to our greatest longings. Something we long for something we hope for, something that we presently experience today.
because he is alive and he's conquered sin. We receive him and we believe in him. He was born so that we could be born again. Something I want to encourage you to do as some homework, or maybe you have already done it. Childhood favorite, you know, a Charlie Brown Christmas, right? Have you seen that? Do you remember that? Go and watch it. Uh, maybe it's the best thing you can do all year, <laughs> is watch a Charlie Brown Christmas. And here's, here's how it goes. If you're unfamiliar with it or you just need to be reminded, it's pretty amazing. It's, and it's short. It's like 20 minutes. There must be, Charlie Brown says this. It opens up, and Charlie Brown says to his good friend Linus, he says, there must be something wrong with me. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I might be getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating the tree and all that, but I'm still not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. And Linus says, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy is right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you are the Charlie Browniest. And the rest of the show, the rest of this special is Charlie Brown trying to figure out the meaning of Christmas and to find joy and to find peace in his heart in this season. And he's miserable. I mean, he is just, Charlie Brown is just a depressed and sad guy. Is it in the Christmas cards? He goes to his mailbox, no Christmas cards. He goes over to Veronica, Victoria, one of the girls, and says, hey, I didn't get your Christmas card that you sent. And she says, I didn't send you one. And he says, yeah, I know. And, and he's just like, no one's giving me Christmas cards. Maybe it's not in the friendships. Maybe it's not in the Christmas cards. Maybe it's in the decorating. You see, maybe it's in the lights and the joy of the decorating. And he walks by Snoopy, right? He walks by Snoopy's house, and Snoopy's house is decked out. And he's just like, I, and he automatically, and he gets a first place t- prize. So Charlie Brown fails again. Even, even a dog is beating me at that. Maybe it's in a Christmas play, right? So Lucy uh, tells him, you know, maybe you should direct this Christmas play. And it's a disaster, if you remember. No one's paying attention. Everybody's dancing out of tune. You know, there's a guy going like this, right? He's my favorite. Everybody's, he's like, this is horrible. No one's listening to my direction. And the play is going really bad. Maybe it's in the perfect Christmas tree. And he goes to a Christmas tree lot, and all the trees are made out of metal. And he's like, what has happened to this? And there's not even real trees. Oh, but he does come across this real tree, and it's got four branches. And it's, you refer to it now as the, it's a Charlie Brown tree, Right? Because if, if you look at a Christmas tree and it's pitiful, then it's called a Charlie Brown tree. It's just nasty. So it's horrible in that. They can't even decorate. They put a, one little ornament, ornament on it and it falls down. Well, maybe it's managing your emotions. Maybe the, the, the reason for the season or Christmas is all about being the person that you hope to be. And this is a season where you could really try hard to reflect on inner peace and becoming a person that you desire to be. This is admirable, right? It's about... You know, this is about being the person this time of year better than I was last time of year, and hopefully that'll carry through the new year. And so he goes and sees a psychiatrist, right? The psychiatrist is in, and he gives a, he gives a nickel. Charlie Brown is depressed, and he's frustrated. He goes to see psychiatrist Lucy, who diagnoses him with pantophobia, which is the fear of everything. And she says, pantophobia. And he says, what's that? And she said, that's the fear of everything. And he says, that's what I have. And Charlie Brown is just sad. He is just a mess. Isn't there anyone who could tell me the meaning of Christmas? And Linus says, sure, I can. And he reads Luke 2. And they sing, hark the herald angels sing. And Linus is just this solid friend who who endures Charlie Brown's uh, chaos and struggle through life and just so tenderly says, this is what it's about. It's not about you 
being the person or seeking out that inner strength. It's about what God has done for you. Receive Him. Enjoy Him. And they lived happily ever after, right? No. This is the thing. If they do all this, they worship God, the tree is beautiful, and Charlie Brown leaves and he's defeated and depressed and sad. And I'm so glad that he is. Because just believing and receiving doesn't mean this happily ever after, that this eternal smile. We bring it into our life and there's struggle and there's pain and there's sorrow and sadness. This is what I love about it. We trust in Jesus. When we, we trust in Jesus and we get frustrated and we get depressed and we get, we have doubt and we wonder things of true significance. But Jesus came with the utter Weakness of a child. And they gather the friends that they, they sing together as they recognize life's woes. But Jesus, the Savior, has come, and that is worth singing about, and it fills their heart with joy. Why did Jesus come like this? This is the question that Luke is meaning to answer. Luke wants to answer this because he was born in order to die so that we could be born again to him. He was born. Because we are sinners in need of an overwhelming love. And it's come to us. Receive him this year. Be renewed in your heart of centering your life's motivation, your life's means, and your life's end to knowing him and glorifying him. Let's pray together.